Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. He truly was an unforgettably gentle, kind, and charming man. Charismatically, he described his lifelong love of country dancing, Scottish poetry, and work as a GP, covering more than 200 miles of the most remote Aberdeenshire. Maureen Simpson, Aberdeen Evening Express. A Ghastly Mistake, written by Nicholas McInerney. Monday, 15th of May, 1968. Day one of the hearing held in my chambers, Edinburgh, Lord Jack Hunter, Judge Jack Hunter. We are here in determination of a question of Section 10 of the Administration of Justice Scotland Act 1933. In petition, John Alexander Cumnock Forbes Sempill, residing at 3 Mallard Street, Chelsea, London, SW3, and the Honourable Ewan Forbes Sempill, residing at Brooks Lodge, Alford, Aberdeenshire. The first petitioner, John Forbes Sempill, maintains that the second petitioner, Ewan Forbes Sempill, is now and has all along been of the female sex in the physical, anatomical, physiological and genetic meanings of the term. He therefore maintains that Ewan Sempill is female and that he, John Sempill, in the circumstances above averred, is therefore heir male of the Lord Sempill. The question as determined is this. Is the first petitioner the heir male of the Lord Sempill, or is the second petitioner, Ewan Forbes, the heir male of the Lord Sempill? My name's Stephen Whittle. I've lived this life. The changing public attitudes was one of the most difficult things, but at the same time, one of the easiest. We had a lot of changing to do. But I remember so well a colleague saying to me, well, if you want to change the law and win court cases, that's judges. That means you've got to change judges' wives first. You need to change the conversations that take place after breakfast in those houses. 10 o'clock, the evening before day one of the trial, and I'm still at my desk. Air mail of the Lord Sempill. And is that really the question? I mean, does it does it go to the heart of things? Air mail. No, 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 it doesn't. Isn't the simple question this? Is you in forms male or female? Perhaps I can help. Oh, you again. Good evening, Your Honour. I've banished you. I've cast you out into the shadows. You can't banish Ewan's mother, Your Honour. His dead mother. Dead? Dead. And in the ground these past 23 years. So account for my presence here in your chambers. Maybe I'm tired. I can't think straight. I've, I've hardly seen my wife in days. This is some trial, I grant you. Oh, yes. This is a deeply unconventional case which asks a number of highly challenging questions. And it starts tomorrow. What better person to ask, then, than Ewan's mother? Dead or not, you summoned me up in all your uncertainty. And now I'm here... I can help. 
I can help you see the bigger picture, show you moments from his life, snatches of moments. Oh, Mrs. Ford. Shh! Look. What about this? Look. Craig of Arcastle, the ancestral seat of the clan Sempil in Aberdeenshire for over 300 years. The towers are painted bright pink. Apparently, this provides the inspiration for Mr. Walt Disney. Inspiration? Why, every time you watch one of Mr. Walt Disney's pictures, what's the very first thing you see? A pink castle, Your Honour. Craig of our castle. Now look. <gasps> We're in the junk room, Your Honour, right at the top of one of the turrets, crammed with pictures of hunting parties on the Rhine and uniforms from the Crimea, and in the middle, a huge glass case full of dusty stuffed birds. The Fopenis Cristatus. Cracks, cracks. The moment Ewan discovered this room, he loved it. He would disappear up here with a copy of Morris's British Birds. Loxica Scotica. Staring at one bird in particular, one little fat bird they couldn't take his eyes off. Cuculus canorus. The cuckoo? Mummy, what are you doing here? I could very well ask the same of you. I'm all grown up now. I can see. Are you watching me? Still my guardian angel. Of course. Because by rights, you've been dead in the ground these past 23 years. So everyone keeps reminding me, but I'm your mother, Benji. I never die. I never, ever die. And now, kneeling on the cold floor of a colder church... Oh, Lord, there is much ill about us and sin within us. Purchase from selfishness, the love of praise, the shame of being thought what we are not. The shame. Purchase from the desire to be cultivated or modern. Grant us to be content to be rejected for the glory of our living Saviour. Amen. And finally, the most beautiful moment of all. Go on. Bran, fetch, fetch. Happy? I always. I loved being lost in the wilderness. You know how much I loved it. Oh, I remember how you'd come back from a day's shoot or fishing or doing some wild things on the estate with the light shining bright in your eyes. Shh, Mammy, over there. You see? Oh, my. The stag, right? The big, handsome fella taking his time by the stream, antlers wide as a barn door. One day, I'm going to have him. One day, the king of the castle. Well, they sound a grand set of memories, to be sure, Mrs. Forbes, but <laughs> they hardly help me. No. Oh, come on. Doesn't every laddie want to get out in the glen and shoot rabbits? Exactly. Fish and shoot and climb and crawl. You said it yourself. Every laddie does. Are you trying to be clever, Mrs. Forbes? How would I dare, Your Honour? I wouldn't even presume. But listen... I can't be in court. I can't be in that witness box telling the world my story about the you and I knew, that I brought up, agonised over, worried, cherished. But you can ask me now, Your Honour. Isn't that why I'm really here? Because I've been watching you too, struggling with the responsibility, the history you could be making. But at heart, a simple question. 
Yes? You can ask me anything. I was born in Dorset in a village 66 years ago. It was an idyllic childhood, but through my first 11, 12 years of life, I didn't fit in with anybody. You know, my thoughts were not in any way girl-related. I'm not talking about being a tomboy. I'm talking about there was nothing feminine about my psyche. That one day I woke up and I thought, this is it now, and my penis is not going to grow. I guess I have to pretend to be a girl then. So I went back to a psychiatrist and she said, absolutely, there's no doubt in my mind, you are what you are. And how was he educated? Schooled at home. His elder brother William went to Eton, but Benji was schooled at home. Benji? My name for Ewan. Ah, so he was kept out of the way at Craigievar. Yes, but we owned a mansion at Fintry too, on the banks of the Don. The title of baronet meant you held the future of all the good people who worked the land. You were the old laird whose family stretched back to Robert the Bruce. Apparently you were Scotland. My husband was not an easy man. That's what happens when you're shot in the spine in the water end wars. When William was born, do you know what he said? You go to hell! I don't want a son. I want my brother to succeed. So when it came to Benji, well, Ewan had been born Elizabeth. That's what the doctors said, and that's how he was christened, Elizabeth. But Ewan knew better than that, didn't he? And how was his childhood? Very happy. When I sat at the big desk writing business letters for the old laird, I would put Ewan on a cushion inside a turtle shell and tell him to go on a grand voyage, go sail the seven seas. Those early years were a dream. Ewan learnt several languages, even Doric. He played the harp. Of course, he ran wild, too, riding, skating, wrestling, hunting for rats, shooting rabbits. Mad things, too, like strapping on skis and being towed behind one of the horses in the snow. Ewan! Ewan, please! All boys need to be kept busy, don't they? The devil makes work, yes? So, I soon had Ewan cutting up the laundry soap for the estate workers. Small squares... Neat squares, delivered by the youngest son of the old laird himself. Then what happened, Mrs Forbes? Time was not on our side. It never was. Until he was six, every illness was treated with the same miracle cure, Globina, which we gave to the horses. But as he neared his tenth, his eleventh, I started to make doctor's appointments. And that's when the old laird started to make demands. My name's Harry. I'm 38 years old and I identify as trans. From, I guess, about the age of three, I would protest about wearing dresses and things like that. I remember my mother was actually really worried that I wouldn't conform to the school rule that girls had to wear skirts and then sort of stand out. I felt I had no other option, so I just went along with it and I actually wore a skirt to school. And I felt very uncomfortable of course Elizabeth will accompany Margaret. John. I have no desire to be dragged down to London so Margaret can be presented at court. Then let me go. No. You're needed here, Gwendolen. I can't possibly run the estate without you. You could if you chose to. Chose? You're the old laird, John. Perhaps you need to spend less time fly fishing and more time on estate business. Well, like parading my daughter about as a debutante in front of the king. 
Like a prime Aberdeen Angus at market. But Margaret is so excited. Her new dress, more jewellery, more expense. And it's only what's expected, John. It's our duty. Aye, so if it's our duty to Can indulge this nonsense, say? then it's Elizabeth's duty too. Mommy pleading for her precious Benji. I remember this so well, Mommy. I couldn't hardly look. Her favourite... Lizzie. I don't answer to that name, Margaret. Lizzie. Do you care? My name is Yun. Lizzie, Lizzie, Lizzie. <gasps> well, look. The dress fits. Mommy's done wonders. Stand in front of the mirror. Stand in front of the mirror, Lizzie. Your Majesty, so honoured to meet you. I am here with my younger sister, Your Majesty. Her name? Elizabeth Forbes Sempill, Your Majesty. The runt of the family. What are you doing? I need to get out of this. You're tearing it! Stop! I need to get out! Stop! You can! I'm not the only queer fella in this family. I've seen the way you carry on with the young maids, with Agnes from the kitchen. What? You've been spying on me? I don't need to spy, Margaret. I stand by the door. <gasps> And there's more than one runt in this family. <sighs> you there, King? King of the castle? It's you in here. You see what they did? You see what they made me do? King of the castle, look at you. Get down, you dirty rascal. Get down, you dirty rascal! Benji. You said nothing, Mommy. You let the old lair put me in a dress. I did my best. A dress? You even made the wicked thing yourself. I had no choice. Mommy. I'm his wife. There are customs we have to respect. I don't. To live the life you want to live? To be the man you want to be? Yes, maybe for now you do. Am I the only person in this family who knows? There is always... Always a price to pay. So I'm supposed to wear a dress and tiara and be an object of scorn in lips. Benji. Scorn, I be laughed at. For the last time, maybe. Yes. The last? You're right. You're right. I've tried to deny it, to push it away, out of sight, thinking somehow everything would be grand, would magically resolve... But now we have to make choices. I already have. I know. Every day. Every day for years now. Every day. Well, now, so have I. And your relationship with Ewan changed from that moment on? It did. How? It felt more of a partnership. Ewan and I grew even closer. I would do anything to help my son become a man. What sort of anything? I wrote letters, hundreds of letters. I sought advice from whomever and wherever. Ah, yes. Dear Dr. Seif. Dear Dr. Seif, you asked about my son's progress thus far to help you assess your programme of psychotherapy. In truth, these past four years, we've travelled throughout Europe to seek advice and treatment for Ewan. We've been to doctors in Dresden, Prague, Vienna and Budapest. All were experts in endocrinology. Ewan has borne all these treatments bravely. He's suffered outbreaks of boils. He started to shave. 
I have read Professor Adler's theories that life is driven by work, love, and a being used to society. And yesterday, you and himself expressed just such beliefs. I want to become a doctor. Yes? Yes. Because who better than me? I want to be the one. Dr. Seif, I believe my son's time with you will be hugely beneficial, and I'm eternally in your debt. Sincerely, Gwendolyn Forbes Semble. I did the deed poll thing and had it authenticated and had it done officially. And so then I changed everything then, like my driving licence, and that just felt really good, just to have it out there. May 15th, day one. Evidence of Professor John Anderson Strong questioned by William Grieve QC for the first petitioner, John Semple. Please state your position, Professor. I'm a holder of degrees of Bachelor of Medicine, Bachelor of Surgery and a Fellow of the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh and London. What field do you deal with? General Medicine, with a particular interest in endocrinology, the study of internal secretions, hormones. Did you receive a joint letter of instruction from two firms of solicitors? I did. And in consequence of receipt of that letter, did you carry out a medical examination of the Honourable E. Forbes Sempill? Yes, I did. What specimens did you take? I took a smear from the mouth of the patient, I took a blood sample and a small sample of skin. As a result of your examination, Professor, I wonder if you could describe your factual findings. Dr Ford's sample is of fairly short stature, 5 foot 2 inches in height. He's a broad build, he is muscular, more or less, without that deposition of subcutaneous tissue that is commonly found in the normal female. He has a growth of hair on the face for which he finds it necessary to shave. He has a vigorous hair growth on the chest, limbs, and, to a lesser extent, on the abdomen. He has a growth of pubic hair and of auxiliary hair. In the armpits? Yes. Would you now describe the genitalia? The genitalia consists of a phallic organ, enlarged phallic organ. This is when I examined him. Some two centimetres in length and perhaps one centimetre in thickness. Some two centimetres posterior, there is an orifice which on closer inspection appears to be two orifices. The forward one is the urethra, and the one behind that may well be a small external orifice or a vagina. In examining the second petitioner, Mr Ewan Forbes, were you able to form any view as to the likelihood of him being able to have sexual intercourse? It depends on one's definition of sexual intercourse but I had no reason to doubt that some form of sexual intercourse would be possible. Normal sexual intercourse? Normal for a man, that is. Normal to the extent of achieving orgasm, but not necessarily normal in the sense of achieving fertilisation. In the last paragraph of your report, you say there was no evidence of testes found in the labia and you found nothing further to a rectal examination. Did you conduct a purposeful search to see if you could find any evidence of testes? I did. And you found nothing? Nothing. However, your examination was limited to that described in your letter of instruction. That is correct. In your report, you conclude that the appearance and history of the second petitioner, Mr Ewan Forbes, is consistent with a moderate degree of congenital adrenal hyperplasia. What exactly is that? It is a condition where infants before birth are subjected to a 
an excess of a masculinizing hormone which is secreted by the adrenal gland. However, if you had found any evidence of testes, would you have taken the same view? No. If testes had been found, this diagnosis would have been untenable. Mrs Forbes, Gwendolen, you consider Ewan's decision to become a doctor as significant? I do. Uh-huh. He joined a family practice at Alford, uh, according to my notes. Yes. So what was the significance, Mrs Forbes? The old lad was dead against it. Told Ewan he wouldn't spend another penny to send him to university. I'm sure it was to punish him. Punish? Maybe it was to, to protect him. I don't need protecting, Mammy. Not anymore. I'm a proper grown man now. Also, I'd seen how Ewan had changed. With my very own eyes. I want to go out into the world and be useful, not hide away. All the old lad cared about was the scandal, the whispers and gossip and odd glances. But the estate workers didn't care. They loved Ewan. They loved him. And that was the third thing. The third? The old lad couldn't look in the mirror and see the truth. His own son, born his daughter. Uh, uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I, I need my notes. Oh, I was such a terrible QC, Mrs Forbes. Too impetuous. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so, Ewan went to study medicine at Aberdeen. Yes. At the age of 27. Remember, he had to be set free first. Ties and obligations... He had to feel free. Was my shepherd, wheel again. The Lord himself is he. He leads me where the grass is green and burnies quite that be. Starting with the old lad dying. Half times I fain astray with guy. Ewan recited at his funeral the 21st Psalm. He fins me out, he puts me right and brings me home. William inherited the titles. He was now the 19th Baron Sempil. His muckle crook will me defend. See, I have naught to fear. And the 10th Baronet Forbes. His goodness and his mercy Ewan had just turned 25. While folded on the fields of time. Oh, oh, eternity. So here was his moment. Finally. Finally! And he grabbed it, he took it by the scruff of the neck and he shook. I want to dance. He wanted to dance, Your Honour. Dance? I'd always loved dance as a wee Jimmy. The sheer flash of colour and the back and forth of it. Everyone dressed in their kilts and silver buckles and flash. The men and women lost in each other, spinning around. And all the red happy faces and the joy of it. Oh, the joy! like a church of happiness. And once I realized I could have that too, and what's more, I was good. I was so good. He started a team called the Dancers of Don. Twelve dancers. No more time out alone on some windy glen with a gun in his dark thoughts. But together, dancing, they performed everywhere. Edinburgh, Glasgow, London... There was even an invitation from Balmoral. Balmoral? They were practically neighbours, Your Honour. We went everywhere. I was the Fred Astaire of the Highlands, wore my shoes into nothing, and the dancers, oh, the dancers. 
the Scottish reform, the rakes of Glasgow, the long chase, the rock, the octer tire, the wee pickle toe, dip waste, the fintray house, the reel of tonic, the cold kale, Johnny McGill, the money musk and ate some reel. So by the time it happened, March 1944, my death, the one thing I'd feared all my life, the fear that he would be alone, all alone. But no, you and Benji, my son, had the best years of his life before him. But you're my mammy. You never die. Oh, Benji. Because now I stand tall. I'm Dr. Semple. People tip their hats and invite me in for a nip of whiskey. I have my eye on an estate at Brooks, a farm and 3,000 acres. I'd even be the Laird of Brooks. How about that? That would be wonderful. And here's the cherry mammy. There's someone who works at the practice in reception, a farmer's daughter from a good home. Her name is Isabella Mitchell. Isabella. I call her Patty. She's pretty as a picture. I might ask her to step out. You should. <laughs> and none of this would have been possible without you. With what you gave me. How you stood by me. We don't often get a gender recognition certificate and lean for gender recognition for themselves. It often means very little. What really meant for all of us was to give security back to the people who had supported us through thick and thin. My family have never let me down. They've never not known who I am. Ah, Ewan, there you are. Hello, Margaret. Can I introduce you? And, uh... Who is this, Mrs Forbes? Ah, Margaret, Ewan's older sister, and... Have you met Cousin John? Of course. I think you were at my father's funeral. Mm, unfortunately not. I was on a tour of duty in Palestine. Uh, Margaret tells me you're quite the adventurer too. The wild man of Craig of Arcastle. Oh, not anymore. I'm a plain GP. The wildest I get is removing someone's tonsils on a kitchen table. Ouch. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you would have had a distinguished career in the army, Ewan, had you joined. I never thought of it. No, I don't suppose you did. Uh, John produces plays in London now. And films. Well, I dabble. Then I should thank you for taking the time in your busy diary to come all the way up here, John. And pay your respects to my mother now. <clears throat> you know what? I think it's time for a drink. Several, actually. And that was Cousin John, the first petitioner. The very first time they met, Your Honour. Somebody wanted a word, Dr Forbes. Aye, come in, Paddy. Shut the door. It's Miss Mitchell and Dr Forbes during surgery hours. I thought we agreed. I'm a bad wee manny. <laughs> and Mrs Hamish is waiting to see you. You know how bad her hemorrhoids are. <laughs> no, no, this is not professional. <clears throat> I've got some news. Yes? You know we love planning our future. Aye, dreaming. So, what if it was real? You? You know how this wretched birth certificate business hangs over as well. I've just spoken to Professor Kawadius, who is not only the very expert on my condition, but the kindest of men. 
He told me to write to Professor Sir Sidney Smith, Dean of Medicine at Edinburgh University. Apparently, with Sir Sidney's support, I could change my birth certificate. All I need are three doctors to write letters. I know who to ask, Patty. And then Sir Sidney will speak personally to the Registrar General. A, a new certificate? Aye, with the letter M against my proper name, Ewan. Your Ewan. Oh, Mummy! Is this true? Is it? Yes. And once it is announced, you and I can get married and disappear. Oh! Well, I have it here. You do? The announcement he had published, it's right here. Dr. Forbes Sempill, Brooks Lodge, Alford wishes to intimate that in future he'll be known as Dr. Ewan Forbes Sempill. All legal formalities have been completed. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm only going to make this statement. There will be no questions. I was carelessly registered as a girl in the first place, but that was 40 years ago. The doctors in those days were mistaken. I was sacrificed to prudery and the horror which our parents had about sex. I only wish to be left to live my life in peace. It was all a ghastly mistake. Thank you. I pronounce your wedding vows are sealed. You are henceforth to be known as husband and wife. Evening Express, 15th of October 1952. Dr Ewan Forbes Semphill and Miss Isabella Mitchell were married on 10th of October at Kildrummy Kirk by Pastor McEwen in a service attended by a few chosen friends and relations. Afterwards, there was a reception at Brooks House. Passing neighbours reported hearing a very lively Kayleigh. Patty, are you ready? Sure I am. Ready as a riot. Haven't we been practising this for weeks? Aye. <laughs> <clears throat> The Bonnie Brooks, ladies and gentlemen. A new dance created especially for my darling new wife, Mrs. Ford Sample. Dr. Ford Sample. Raise your glass, everyone, and dance. It still brings a lump to my throat because I have never seen her happier than on that day. I wanted to do a little quiet thing at a registry office, but you know what? Within about two weeks of us saying we were married, we had 120 people who had already invited themselves to the event. So we had, in the end, 180 people crammed into a chapel for 80 people. A cross-examination by Charles Johnson QC, counsel for the second petitioner, the Honourable Ewan Forbes Sempill. Hey, Professor Strong, now we come to another substantive issue. Please look at item number four. The report in front of me. Yes, from Dr Dewhurst at Aberdeen University. I've read it, yes. It is the results of a biopsy sent to him by Mr Ewan Forbes. Can you read the conclusion? All of this material was processed and studied histologically. It consists entirely of testicular tissue set in a non-compact stoma in a tubular lumina. A few sperm-like structures are noted. To what is the report referring, Professor? I believe it refers to the existence of testes. Testes found in the second petitioner, Mr Forbes? Yes. Which you did not discover in your examination? I did not. But if you had found any testicular tissue, might you have taken a different view in your report? 
Yes, I would. Professor Strong, would you consider it possible for there to be evidence of another testes in the second petitioner's body? Yes. And how would that affect your diagnosis? If that information became available to us when we know that a person's sex chromosome was XX, then we would be obliged to regard this as hermaphroditism, true hermaphroditism. Does the true hermaphrodite have to have testicular and ovarian elements present? Yes. So on the assumption I think you are ready to make that testicular tissue is in fact present in the second petitioner, what is your conclusion as to the category you would describe, Mr Ewan Forbes? The most likely category is that of true hermaphroditism. Hmm. One last thing. Would you also consider that what is sometimes described as the psychological sex of an individual is a criterion that should be considered? I think that in making a total assessment of an individual, one should take account of this. Your Honour, Jack. Yes? Funeral for William, my eldest, the new old lad. 1966. I'm sorry. There you are. Margaret. John. Wasn't the funeral something? William was well respected. And I do like a requiem mass, don't you? It's different. It's what William wanted. Oh, yes, the zeal of the convert. William was my brother and St Mary's was his church. I was hoping to have a moment after his funeral alone... Excuse me. Margaret tells me that you and William ensured that Craig of R went to the National Trust so that I couldn't inherit. I mean, I was supposed to inherit it through my father, your uncle, wasn't I, Ewan? That is right. John. Along I... with estates at Fintry. Oh, and a pile of junk you keep up in one of the turrets, and some ghastly great case full of stuffed birds. So what's left, Ewan, after you squirrelled it all away? I squirrelled nothing, John. I simply wanted the estate to be managed properly. Properly? By someone who understood the needs of all the tenant farmers, who isn't a stranger. I'll tell you what's left. The title, Ewan. Baronet of Craigievar. It can only go to a male heir. Primogeniture, the next male in line. Apparently you, Ewan. But of course you know that. Is that why you changed your birth certificate all those years ago? The next male in line? Pull! Pull! I really thought after William's death, everything would go back to a quiet, uneventful life. Oh, you knew you would inherit the title. The only thing I knew for certain was I wanted to marry you. That's why I changed the certificate. Do you think I care about the title? John clearly does. Then I need to stop him. I need to stop him caring. I've offered him both Craigavar and Fintray, both still considerable estates... I've heard he's so bad with money, this could be enough. Drink and money, that's what Margaret says. Margaret? I don't trust her one wee inch, but what choice do I have? All that matters now is that John makes no claim, and we can be left very, very alone. Pull! Yet here we are. Yes. You've read these. Dear Ewan, 
I'm here confirming that I will be proceeding with my claim to be Baronet of Craigivar. We have received a letter from your sister, Margaret, in support of my claim. All future correspondence is to be directed through our solicitors. Sincerely, John Forbes Semple. Dear John, I hope the following information is all that you require. I have always regarded Dr Ewan as my sister, and I feel quite sure there was never any doubt as to her sex. She went to dances and was presented at court in 1930. She had her periods regularly, just as any other girl. A year or two after I came out of the service, my sister got the practice at Alfred. After that, she cut herself off from all her relations. I did not know a thing until my sister-in-law told me. I, her only sister. Yours sincerely, Margaret Forbes Semple. What do these letters mean, Ewan? They mean we might have to go to court. Court? No. I see no alternative. Just give him the damn title. As well as the estates. Aye, if necessary. I would if I could, my darling, but it's the law. You mean all the stupidity about the male line? Aye. If I don't claim the title, it would be like admitting the birth certificate was not... Ewan? That I'm not a man. So we go to court. But if we lose... Then the title goes. My job... And our marriage? It will cease to be recognised illegal. Illegal? I could be prosecuted for perjury. I, I could go to prison. Prison? I won't come to that, I promise. How do you know? And once again, everyone will know our My business. Darling, the whole world. Margaret will see sense. I will talk to her. How can she do this? How can she write such a letter? She lives with a woman herself. She lives in sin. <laughs> I said that both of us are runts. Ewan, please, it isn't funny. It's another ghastly mistake. <laughs> Listen, Patty. I've agreed to be examined by Professor Strong from Edinburgh University tomorrow. The, the court has appointed him. He has an excellent reputation. I'll do anything to protect you from all of this, to protect our marriage, our life. I'll do anything. I'm transgender and I'm 81. To start with, it was during the 1950s and 1960s, it was against public decency to appear in the wrong clothing in London, on the streets or anywhere like that. The police would run you in, keep you in the cells overnight, and they recommend you for diversion therapy, where they subjected you to painful things and associated it with dressing up in clothes not of your own gender. Final report from Professor Strong of Edinburgh University. This is the conclusion of the examination I made on Dr. Forbes Semple on the 26th of November, 1966. In anatomical terms, I conclude that Dr. Forbes Semple is a female. The results from the chromosomal investigation also show Dr. Forbes Semple to have two X chromosomes, and therefore, genetically, to be female. Cuculus canoris. Cuculus canoris. Cuckoo's Ewan? Aye. Ewan. Did you know here, the cuckoo's always been the usurper, vandal, runt. But in Greek mythology, they're a goddess, Patty. And in Japan, they stand for lost love. Ewan, come downstairs. 
I've had the letter back from you, Professor Strong. You need to come downstairs. The results of the examination. You'd better read it. The police are downstairs, Ewan. Police? It's Margaret. There's been a terrible accident. A car accident. What Ewan. accident? What? She's been killed, Ewan. Margaret's dead. I'm so sorry. Are you there? Mammy? Are you? Benji. Oh, your wee Benji's in a fair bit of trouble now. He must be. He's been sitting staring in the wind for hours. What do I do? The trial starts in a few days. Margaret was going to withdraw her letter, but now she's dead. The report from Professor Strong is the worst possible news. I can barely look at Patty. What do I do? Didn't you say you'd do anything to save the marriage? Aye. Then I say get off your backside and do it. Oh. Use some wild, Benji. Wild? There's a cuckoo in the nest, Ewan. A fat cuckoo called John. So what do I do? Lie? Dissemble? Perjure myself? You think he wouldn't do anything to get his hands on that title? To kick you out? What kind of man are you? You are Dr. Ewan Forbes Semple, the 19th Baron Forbes Semple. You are the old laird himself. So screw your courage to the sticking place and we'll not fail. And then along came one or two cases, Avril Ashley and one or two people like that who said, right, I'm a woman now, I've had the operation and you can't do anything about it. But most of us just endured our lives the way it was and didn't think that anything could be done about it. Day two of the trial. Evidence of the second petitioner, the Honourable Ewan Forbes Sempill, questioned by Charles Johnsey QC. How are you educated, Dr Forbes? I was educated at home by governesses. And in your early years, your principal interests? In the way of recreation, riding, shooting, tobogganing, fishing... Were you interested in dolls? No, I disliked them intensely. Did you have a pony? I did. What sort of things did you do with the pony? I used to ride through the woods and chase cattle and lasso them. What was your parents' attitude towards you when you were a child? My tendencies, as you know, were to lead a fairly rough sort of life, and they were rather disapproving of this. And what was your attitude when expected to put on dresses and that sort of thing? I felt most distressed. The sex assigned to me was not what I felt I was. I was acting a false part. How could I be happy? I felt like a trapped bird. As you passed through puberty, did anything significant occur in your body? I used to have erections and emissions, if that's what you mean. Did you ever menstruate? No. Did your mother speak to you about menstruation? Frequently. <laughs> Didn't your sister, Margaret, write... She had her periods regularly, just as any other girl. Nobody can blame her for saying that. My parents were shy, in fact, and deeply ashamed. And at that time, what was your attitude to contemporaries of the male and female sex? I felt friendship with males and a sense of attraction towards females if they were attracted to me. Oh, we money. Did you, after 1939, have intimate relationships with women? Yes. Have you ever in your life had a sexual relationship with a man? No. 
And since 1952, have you and your wife been happily married? We have, indeed. Oh, we have. Until your cousin John saw fit to serve a summons on you, did you and your wife live undisturbed and peaceably at Brooks? We did. Are you concerned to succeed in the baronetcy or not? I am not concerned in the slightest. Cross-examination by William Grieve QC, counsel for the first petitioner, John Semple. Mr Forbes, were you on affectionate terms with your sister Margaret? We did not get on well. If you look at the letter, you will see on the first page she writes, I always regarded Dr Ewan as my sister. She was not given the inside information, so perhaps she was kept in the dark about that. She also writes, she had her period regularly, just the same as any other girl. Quite untrue. Then... Why would you say that? I, I think the reason is unpleasant. I don't know whether you want to hear it. We, uh, we may as well know. Uh, my sister died in a motor accident last October, and she was in financial straits, her total debt over £12,000. Uh, but my sister had also told my sister-in-law that she very much regretted what she had written in that letter. This is hearsay. If you, uh, if you would confine yourself to what you actually heard, Mr Forbes. Well, I, I called her on the telephone and said, would you like to come over and discuss this? And she came over and said she was very sorry, but she could not take back what she had written because my cousin John had indicated that he would take care of her financially. I want to be clear about this. Do you say your sister wrote the paragraph about having periods because she hoped to get some money out of her cousin John? She is dead and not here to explain herself. But she said to me, I am very disillusioned now, but I did believe in John when he said he would provide for me. (laughs) No further questions, Your Honour. Mr Johnson. Thank you, Your Honour. Mr Forbes, did you in 1951 go and see Professor Coadius in London? I did. What was the reason for your visit? He examined me and said he thought it was likely there were testes present. Did he prescribe something? He prescribed testosterone propionate, 25 milligrams. Now, you were also examined by a Dr Dewhurst, is that correct? An appointment was made after my examination by Professor Strong. On the 24th of January, 1967? Correct. Why was that? That was because on the 19th of January, I undertook a biopsy upon myself and had sent it to Dr Dewhurst to be examined. Where was the biopsy performed? The left groin. Why the left? That was where the lump was. A lump? Mummy? What lump? When did you become aware there was a lump? I had been aware there was a swelling for some considerable time, but during the month of January, I had another severe attack of bronchitis, and during the coughing, it protruded further and became quite evident. Protruded? As Dr. Kawadias said, had predicted, a testes. And when did you become aware of any swelling in this area? Uh, I had been vaguely aware of it for a considerable time. What? No, no. You never told me. I performed the biopsy immediately after lunch. I sealed it and posted it myself. To Dr. Dewhurst? Yes, and this was examined, and you have Dr. Stocker's report. So when you were examined by Professor Strong on the 26th of November 1966, did you bring those swellings to their attention? I did. 
Professor Strong told us that he conducted a pretty extensive search in that region to see if he could find any indication of any swelling. Professor Strong did conduct a thorough examination in many ways, but he did not seem to bother unduly over this. I have often wondered why that was. No further questions. Patty! Patty! What are you doing in there? What are you saying? Shush! All that nonsense about a swelling! What swelling? And I'm your damn wife! Shush! Yes, but for how much longer? If John gets his way and wins, how much longer? They talk about birth certificates. She said to me, Stephen, look at me. I'm six foot six. I am a trucker in a frock. Do you think a new birth certificate is going to make a blind bit of difference to the quality of my life? What would make a difference is me keeping my job. What would make a difference is if people actually gave a little bit of respect to the fact that Barry and me lived together quite happily as a couple. Day three of the trial... Evidence of Isabella Mitchell, questioned by William Grieve QC for the first petitioner, John Semple. You married Dr Forbes Semple on the 10th of October 1952? Yes. At the time, would you say his behaviour approximated more towards that of a man or a woman? It was exactly as it is now. A man. We have been told Dr Forbes Semple had a phallic organ. During intercourse, can you describe what happens? There is a natural erection and climax. Where is it placed? In my vagina. Is there an emission or not? Yes. We are told the phallic organ does not have any orifice. Do you follow me? Yes. Whence the emission? From directly behind. Behind? Yes. Perhaps at this stage I might ask you, what effect does intercourse have? A normal reaction, Your Honour. Please elaborate, Mrs Forbes-Semple. A normal, complete reaction and satisfaction. I take it you know what I mean by orgasm, do you? Yes. And you experience that during intercourse? I do. On all occasions? On all occasions. And how frequently do you have intercourse? Screw your courage to the sticking place. Over the years, sometimes twice a week, sometimes less... But you do know that your husband is not a normal male. I would rather say there might be an imbalance of nature. I'm sorry to put this question, but he is not a normal male to look at. I can't agree. You're not suggesting, are you, his genitalia are normal male genitalia? You're not suggesting that the lumps in his groin were normal undescended testes? Patty? No. No. Don't do it. Mrs Mitchell? Mrs Mitchell, please answer. I, I am. I am. I'm absolutely confirming that I have been aware of his undescended testes for as long as my husband. In fact, it was me who told him to undertake the biopsy. That's right. It was me. A former Aberdeenshire doctor who now farms 3,000 acres in the heart of Strathdon heard yesterday that the Home Secretary, Mr James Callaghan, has determined as follows. You and Forbes Sempol's name shall be entered on the roll of baronets as the 11th baronet of Craig of R. Opinion of Lord Jack Hunter, 15th of January 1968. The petition raises questions of a highly unusual character. While, from a medical point of view, sex is probably a spectrum... 
the law must attempt to draw a firm line. My conclusions are that I regard the evidence of the wife of the second petitioner as being of great importance and highly credible. I also consider that there is overwhelming evidence that the psychological sex of the second petitioner is male. I therefore answer to the question in the petition, is the second petitioner Ewan Forbes Semple, heir male of Lord Semple, in the affirmative. We money? Shh. Didn't I read the judgment? It arrived today. It's just up ahead on the brow. Ewan. The king of the castle. See? Ewan. See? I just need a clear view and a clean shot. Didn't I read it? We won. It's all over. It's done. Is it? Yes. At what price? Oh, not this again. It's been eight months and you're still fretting over that biopsy. Don't you understand? I could lie. I could lie and use their doctor old boy nonsense against them, but you... Ewan! I made you lie. I made you lie in court, my darling, before God, the ultimate judge. You made me do nothing. I chose. Chose to commit a mortal sin, to go to hell. And for what? For our life together. For love. For love? Ah, yes. Yes, up. For love. Quick now, quick. I got him. I got him. (laughs) Who's king of the castle now? Who's king now? Hello, Benji, my child, my boy. It's your mother. He can't hear you. Or won't. Won't? Since the trial, he wouldn't trust no one. Was always arguing, watching and waiting to be betrayed. Oh, Benji. Oh, Sir Ewan, no. Everyone has to call him Sir Ewan. Sir Ewan spying with his binoculars. Sir Ewan preaching endless damnation. And you? Stand in the doorway and smoke. Or go fishing. I love the calm. It could make me start loving the wee money all over again. Oh, Paddy. What else did he have? He started with you. And now he'll end with me. You loved a boy. And I loved the man. I told him once. There was always a price to pay. Always. Look at him. Sitting for hours with that ugly, huge stag staring down at him. Taunting him. Does he love himself now? In 1984, he published his memoir, The Old Days. In 1989, he published a memoir of his dance company, The Dancers of Dawn. He never mentioned the trial in either book, not once. In September 1991, after a stroke, he was welcomed home by the old man's friend. He was 79. Cuculus Canoras. Guess who turned up at the funeral? Cousin John. All the money drunken away, but there was still the title. Canoras. 
He was Sir John Forbes now, Baronet of Craigavar. And nobody spoke to him. Nobody said a word. In A Ghastly Mistake, written by Nicholas McInerney, Ewan Forbes was played by Kit Green, Gwendolyn by Francis Barber, and the judge, Jack Hunter, by John Dougal. Michael Wilson played William Grieve, Finley Robertson played Charles Jauncey, and John K. Steele, Professor Strong. Pippa Hinchley was Patty, Leslie Harcourt was Margaret, and Robert Kavanagh, John Sempill Forbes. Jonathan Keeble played the old laird. The music was written by Simon Slater, and sound design was by David Thomas. A Ghastly Mistake was directed by Jonathan Bannett-Vala. It was produced by Jonathan Bannett-Vala and Melanie Nock. It was an international arts production for BBC Radio 4. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.